It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio program, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a program dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day, a conversation that brings state leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join in on the conversation. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host for this morning. Today, as usual, we'll be taking your phone calls, but we also have our chat room open. I think this gives you another vehicle in which to participate in the show. Kurt will be taking the calls this morning. Uh, Kurt, can you please explain the process? Sure. Thank you, Ray. To call in, dial 1-347-989-8904. When you are ready to make a comment or ask a question, press 1. That will indicate on my switchboard that you are ready to ask a question. I'll get your name and your question or topic. Also, if you are on the phone line, I will ask you to turn down the volume on your computer and only listen on the phone since there will be a delay and it is confusing. If you are just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log on to. We will be monitoring the chat room and will pass on some of the comments or questions onto our speaker. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Kurt. When most people decide to run for the school board, I'm sure they're not even familiar with the School Ethics Commission or that there is even a code of ethics for school board members. Yet, once you begin to serve... Uh, serve on the board. The Code of Ethics serves as a guiding principle, and the School Ethics Commission serves as the mediators on boards' adherence to the Code of Ethics. Uh, and it's apropos that we uh, we had guests with us from the School Ethics Commission today, especially since uh, it's January and we have a lot of new board members uh, who just started their term uh, on the board. With us today uh, is the Interim Executive Director of the School Ethics Commission, Joanne Restivo. Joanne, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, and also, uh, we have the chair of the School Ethics Commission, Robert Bender. Uh, welcome, yeah. Bob. Yeah, good morning, Ray. Okay. And uh, and also, we have Mark Finkelstein, uh, who's a, been a longtime member of the School Ethics Commission. Welcome, Mark. Thank you, Ray. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, um, first of all, uh, thank all three of you for joining us. Um, well, you know, like I said, there's we have a lot of new school board members. A few hundred, uh, about four or five hundred probably just came on. Uh Please tell us what the makeup of the School Ethics Commission is. Bob, do you want to take this one? Yeah, yeah, I'll do that, Ray. Uh, we are a nine-member commission that is appointed by the governor uh, with the confirmation of the New Jersey Senate. And um, there can be no more than five members from the same political party. And there are uh, two members uh, who are administrators, uh, two members that school administrators, and uh, two people that are board members and the rest uh, of the commission, five, are members at large. Uh, just a little bit about the act itself. Um, uh, Senator Cantillo, a longtime uh, state senator in New Jersey, one of the last things he did before he left the office uh, was uh, to uh, submit legislation that, that created the School Ethics Act. 
and this was approved by the uh, state in January of 1992, became effective April of 1992, and our first commissioners were sworn in in, in June of 1992. So it, it's been around for a, a number of years, and uh, uh, that is uh, one of the uh, uh, very important things. We've had a lot of continuity as well. Uh, 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 Senator Cantillo was our first chairperson. Uh, uh, Paul Garbarini uh, succeeded him uh, uh, and, and was a longtime member for uh, uh, until he just passed away not too long ago. And uh, then I uh, moved into the chair position the last few years. So that's kind of a little history of where we are and uh, uh, how we've uh, uh, gone through this, this time. And, uh, Bob, both you and Mark are pretty long-time board members. Mark, how long have you been on? Um, yes, all told, it's it's probably about 20 years. Okay, yeah. and and Bob, I understand you've been there from the beginning, except for a little hiatus of a few months. Yes, I, I originally uh, was uh, appointed uh, and came on in June of 1992, and served until uh, 2003 consecutively. And in June of that year, I uh, retired as a superintendent of schools, and. Um, so therefore, my position had to be filled by another administrator, and uh, I came back on in uh, December of that year, uh, and have been on there uh, since that period of time. Uh, what's the charge? I don't know who uh, Joanne. Maybe hear from you. Probably all three of you on this one. What is the charge of the School Ethics Commission? Yeah. Um, well, the the School Ethics Commission, Ray, of course, is uh, very carefully regulated. It was created uh, by the legislature uh, and uh, specifically uh, within 18A, uh, areas 1221 and 1222 govern the standards uh, in terms of ethical conduct. Um, it's very clear uh, in looking at, at those areas that what we're really talking about is the need to um, ensure and preserve the public confidence. Uh, both for school board members as well as for local school officials uh, because in our form of government uh, we have to have uh, conduct uh, that is uh, of the highest order and we have to make sure that the public has confidence in their elected or appointed officials. Um, and as a result, uh, the charge, one of the major charges of the Ethics Commission is to ensure just that. We need to have a mechanism in place uh, that people can rely upon uh, to ensure that confidence. Certainly, in terms of the uh, charge of the Ethics Commission, uh, there are multiple areas of responsibility, uh, ranging from advisory opinions uh, to hearing complaints. Uh, the Ethics Commission oversees the requirement uh, for the submission and review of financial statements, uh, pers personal disclosure statements, uh, and if in fact uh, there are problems, the Ethics Commission has the authority uh, to issue orders to show cause for failure to either complete the disclosure forms uh, or in fact not complete uh, board member training. And finally in that regard, uh, the Ethics Commission, if in fact they do find a cause uh, has the authority to uh, issue reprimands, censures, 
uh, suspensions or removal from boards. So uh, it's, a, it's a multiple answer uh, to a question that's a very important one. And we'll yeah. be touching on a lot of the things that you mentioned uh, there. Um, I did hear you talk about the financial disclosure forms. Uh, and, uh, Joanne, is, it's my understanding that those will pretty – anyone who's been a long-time board member or, or school official has filled out those paperwork every April. Uh, my understanding is that will be online now. Is that correct? It, it, it is, and we're in the process of training everyone. We've just completed training of the county VAs. Uh, we are now doing the uh, each district. I have I have someone on staff who is tirelessly going from county to county, drawing in all the districts and training them on how to do the the online procedure. This is going to make life much easier for everyone. And there'll be no uh, retention of paper, and, and and also these these disclosures are going up on the web. They will they are a public document, mm -hmm. and and they will be available for anyone to see, and without even a, a request for open public uh, uh, request. So right, they're they're always public records, but now it's easily accessible. Exactly, exactly, and what we've learned. Uh, um, during this process, and we've we've really been greeted with um, open arms, mostly. Uh, there's some sometimes there's a reluctance to do something new, but I uh, but overwhelmingly it, it's been a positive experience. And what we we have found out uh, there are there's there's a whole group of people who are not reporting uh, because the VAs don't know that that either they've transferred or moved around. And, and so it would be nice there be some communication between HR and the VAs uh, in that regard, and that would that would reduce the number of people that we have to enforce against. And our preference is not to enforce; our preference is to have everyone comply. That's because that's what's good for the people, that's what's good for the students, and and so that's our goal: compliance. And uh, I, I want to also mention that. Things that, that uh, some of the, the BAs didn't know, or or the, the members don't know, that uh, they have they have a duty to to file these disclosure statements within 30 days of their swearing in or or taking office. And because they missed the 30 days, doesn't mean that they should just wait for the next the next time. Do the 31st day, do the 32nd day, but get it done because. Um, that's really the beginning of the conversation. I, I know there's a tendency to think that, oh, it's just a form I have to fill out, but it's not. It's the start of a conversation between the board member and his or her attorney. Because if a conflict arises, that, that member or school official is barred from doing certain things. And, and so that conversation starts then. Right. And it's, and it's, so it's not just a piece of paper. It has it has an importance now and in the future. So uh, I think I think that um, if if they're aware that it that it has value uh, to the school to the board and it's for the, to the school, they will they will reduce the number of the amount of money spent on hearings if this disclosure statement becomes more than just a piece of paper. 
VA should be looking at these disclosure statements as they come in. I know they don't have a lot of time, but but look for look for uh, uh, conflicts that arise. Make a point of it. Discuss it with the individual. Have them go to their attorney, and um, and if they do that, I, I think things will go rather smoothly. And if they can talk to the HR, uh, we'd have more contact and and more people and um, fill these disclosure statements out. <coughs> Um, now, I, I said earlier in a, uh, when I opened up about the, the Code of Ethics for school board members, uh, which I, I probably should add was first created by school board members. It wasn't something that was created by the state or the legislature. It was uh, later enacted in the law, but uh, included in the law. Um, but why is the Code of Ethics so important, Mark or Bob? Uh, well, I can tell you this. I'm, I'm glad you said that because School Boards Association uh, did write that up. Uh, and I can remember way back in the uh, 70s seeing that in the first policy manual that I reviewed, um, that it had that is always a statement, and was recommended that all boards of education adopt that as policy. And um, what it does do is that it, it shows what good conduct is and, and uh, behavior of uh, school board members that will elicit then confidence of the community. And um, uh, this really was uh, more of a suggestion, a policy, uh, but did not have any teeth. And um, after the school ethics uh, uh, was in, 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 uh, in existence for a number of years, uh, additional legislation was passed that said, okay, uh, we believe this is good, uh, good uh, uh, policy, and it should be included in the uh, uh, school ethics uh, law. And so, therefore, it came under our jurisdiction, and we were able to begin enforcement of this uh, type of conduct of board members. And um, uh, in doing so, if there was any violation of the code of uh, conduct, it is then uh, the complainant must uh, provide the information and the uh, specific violation and how this was done. It had to be uh, carved out by that complainant. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, again, it is to instill confidence in the uh, the, the public uh, that school board members are acting really in the best interest uh, of the school district and ultimately in the best interest of the students. And uh, again, again, because it's now part of the school ethics uh, law, it now has uh, teeth for us to enforce that. Hey, Ray. Yes. Can I just add something to that? Sure. Um, I, I can tell you that um, previous to to the passage of the legislation, um, the times dictated the actions that were taken. 88, 89, 1990, you know, those were years uh, that were, you know, rather turbulent for the New Jersey School Boards Association. Those were years that uh, the State Commission of Investigation uh, was involved in reviewing the fiscal practices of the association. Uh, and that all came to a head and ended in 1990. Uh, it's not a coincidence that shortly thereafter, the association in concert with the members of the legislature uh, pursued the legislation for the first school ethics commission legislation. So, um, I mean, I think the school boards association was correct in taking this action as Bob indicated, uh, to convey a message on a statewide basis of public confidence and trust. But 
no doubt there was a correlation between the past activities up through 92 when the legislation was first passed. Um, and, yeah, for those listeners, and it was actually, I think 1975 is when the Code of Ethics was passed at a delegate assembly, if I – Yes. Correct, uh, which means the general membership of the districts. Uh, Joanne, you mentioned that with the – with the financial disclosure form and Mark, you mentioned uh, advisory opinions. One of the things that we recommend is if you think there there might be a conflict, uh, the School Ethics Commission has what gives out what they call advisory opinions, uh, which I think is being more proactive at looking at your situation. But could you explain the, the advantage of an advisory opinion? Sure. Uh, any school official can request an advisory opinion, and and of an activity that is that is going to happen. It can't be action that occurred already. It's, it's actually a proactive way, as you said correctly, uh, for prospective activity of a board member or their, or their own action. And the, the commission has uh, the right to reject the request, uh, but in the event that they do accept it, the, the um, entire commission uh, meets and they talk about uh, what what's at stake, basically, should this activity be allowed to happen, and uh, and what kinds of conflicts that activity would create, what kind of links that um, that would could uh, engender a uh, a conflict, and um, and so they they discuss it. The document is written and and sent to the the individual seeking the advice. There are times that the information or the result of that advisory opinion is so far-reaching that uh, with a vote of six uh, commissioners, uh, that advisory opinion would be made public, and it, and it is done uh, anonymously. We take out any, any kind of um, indication as who's requesting it or what board uh, is, is um, on the line. And so it becomes just general knowledge for the public to guide them further. And I guess, the, as you explained, I just want to clarify this, uh, and maybe Bob or Mark can jump in. Uh, if you want one to be made public, it's, is the commission making a statement that this is where we're at on this situation because they think it might affect more than just that one board member or district that put it in? Exactly. Yeah. If there's something that is an issue that we have seen recurring uh, and it is uh, of importance uh, throughout the state, uh, then uh, we can then make it public. But we must have six uh, votes to make that public. So that, you know, that is uh, important. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, I, I said earlier that both of you have been on for a very long time, and I, I, you've probably seen some changes. What do you see as your the three, maybe four, three decisions that you stand out the most or are most important to you? Well, you know, I, I think we have seen something uh, rather recently where we've uh, kind of backtracked a little bit from our original decision. Uh, this dealt with the um, uh, rulings of uh, board members and if they have a relative working in the district, uh, that, you know, if they can take part in the search, selection, or vote of the new superintendent. And um, uh, we did reverse what we had said before. Prior to this time, uh, we were saying that if there was a familiar uh, 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 relationship with the person, the candidate, 
if that person had been uh, maybe under that person's supervision within the district uh, uh, in whatever capacity that may be, that they had to really uh, step out of that, um, uh, that search. Uh, what we have done recently is that we've created a bright line uh, decision because we felt that there was causing a lot of confusion. And one of the things we want to make sure is that in the decisions which we make, we don't want to create more problems within districts. So we basically said that if you do have that relative within that district, that even, even though they might not be under their supervision at that time, or uh, that they should just step out of it completely. They should recuse themselves. Uh, they, they should not be in any parameters of what they're searching for, uh, because ultimately that person will be responsible in that district of which their relative is a employee. And, uh, uh, you know, we have not done too much of that through the years. Uh, I can re remember maybe a few, but uh, very uh, seldom uh, has this happened. But we felt that these bright line uh, decisions are important, again, because we don't want to create confusion. And I think when you're hiring a superintendent, you know, that's one of the most important things that a district uh, board of education has to face, uh, who is their, their, their leader. And um, so we want to make sure that um, those people uh, are very clear in who they can uh, hire and what role they play in that process. Yeah, uh, to, to, to just follow up on that, prior prior uh, decisions, Bob was alluding to the Martinez decision. Uh, prior to that, there had been a prohibition. There had been a prohibition about uh, uh, not involving that conflicted board member in anything before the vote. Now the step has been taken. If there's a conflict in the in the pre-hiring, there's a conflict in the post-hiring. So that that conflicted individual is no longer is a member of the public for that purposes. Steps out, cannot be a part of any discussion, anything at all. Okay. Before I have a, a good follow up, and I'm glad you brought that issue up because uh, that was one of the ones I was thinking of. Uh, but uh, if you want to ask a question. Uh, of the School Ethics Commission members who are with us, dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press uh, one, and a little thing will pop up on our screen that indicates that we know you have a question. Um, and we're talking with uh, Bob Bender, Mark Finkelstein, and Joanne Restivo from the School Ethics Commission. Um, and I'm actually uh, I was at a, a meeting of board members, and someone had brought up a question about serving on it. I said, well, if you had asked me four years ago, I'd have a different answer than I do now. So I, I do think you clarified it. So, uh, Joanne if, uh, and Mark, uh, whoever wants to jump in here. So, with, instead of having a gray area, you're trying to make the line more definitive, I guess, with in terms of uh, if there's a relative working in the district. Uh, is that correct? In both, not just in the hiring, but in all aspects of it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we go back to the per what Mark had said, what the purpose of of the commission is, and that is to preserve the confidence and trust that the public has in in the body, in the in the membership of the board, and the the clearer that we can make the guideline, the the stronger that trust. Yeah, it's you know, there's so many boards 
Ray, throughout the state that are conflicted. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean the majority of the board members have relatives that are working in the districts. And as a result, you know, there are times when those boards have to invoke the doctrine of necessity. Now, I remember, and, and I'm sure Bob does too, um, when that whole doctrine of necessity concept first came before us. Mm-hmm. We saw the need for it, but I can tell you that at the time, we envisioned it as something that was to be used sparingly and and that would be reported to us as needed. And what is disturbing is that it is being used in some areas far more than sparingly and by the same boards. And And while it's legal, it's very disturbing and it gives cause for concern in terms of how the public perceives it because every time it's invoked it has to be done publicly and, and, and right uh, what i mean yeah, sure. yeah right just uh, let me piggyback that a little bit one of the things that um, uh, we we have uh, given direction and that is to when it's used not only is there a 30-day uh, you know uh, posting of it but also that there's a statement and uh, the linkage of the conflict within that district. Uh, the reason why we did that is that, you know, the public has to be aware. And, um, and if the public is aware, then they make ultimately the decision whether, you know, to vote for that person or not vote for that or, or so on. Um, so we felt that if that is used, um, the public who can attend those meetings would have a clear um, uh, understanding of what conflicts there are and how they have to use this in order to operate as a board of education. And um, so, again, the public has to be aware, and uh, it should not be something that should be done in private. Uh, some of the uh, some issues that uh, you know come up uh, deal with um, uh, personnel and. Uh, you know, how, how do they uh, vote for personnel, how do they hire people, et cetera. Even in negotiations, uh, when you have an, a relative that is uh, hired mm-hmm. by that, uh, that, that district, uh, what can they do? How can they uh, perform? And we get uh, general uh, questions such as um, uh, if we have, um, uh, uh, you know, all but three people conflicted. Uh, can we uh, can we now get on the uh, on the negotiations committee? Because even though we have a conflict, we have more expertise. And we have said no. You uh, you still can operate with uh, three members uh, of your board that are not conflicted. And again, as we're seeing this happen, and it's happening quite a bit in the state, is that there's definitely. Uh, uh, linkages uh, in each uh, district, uh, in, in many districts, between relatives uh, of board members. And we have to make sure that the public understands that all boards uh, should be operating in a above board fashion and that the decisions which they make are not uh, mm-hmm. in, going to be uh, a positive uh, uh, impact financially or socially or promotionally. Uh, w- with members of their family. And, uh, you know, it's a kind of a, a really fine line, but uh, one thing that the public has to be aware of. 
And I, uh, I do know that the state has passed various uh, nepotism, uh, nepotism laws, uh, which uh, uh, deal with certain issues, but there are longstanding boards of education that um, have uh, most of their board members that, that could be in conflict. So, I mean. All right. I do have a caller, a question from a caller. Uh, Richard, uh, you have a question? Yes, I do. And Richard, uh, right. hi, Rich. Uh, just uh, ask global questions, don't ask specific examples of people like yourself. They can't give you an opinion over the phone, I don't think. Yes, I understand. Um, okay. I, I, I wanted to uh, comment and, and ask uh, about that bright line rule regarding board members uh, participating in uh, superintendent searches. Uh, that bright line rule would include um, relatives uh, such as siblings uh, with whom the board member shares no household or anything like that. Uh, even siblings who are um, just part-time employees receiving no benefits. And, and don't you think that that's um, overreaching somewhat? Uh, the, there is, I think, little likelihood of a conflict of interest uh, in, in those situations. And I'm wondering whether that ruling that you gave uh, might be limited to uh, full-time employees, relatives who are full-time employees of a district or who receive benefits of any kind. It, the ruling which one do you want to take? Richard, I'm going to put you back on hold, but you can listen to their answer. Okay. I think you uh, – uh, I guess you, Richard's feeling is that you might have went too far. I guess you would probably disagree with that. <laughs> well, the, again, we're going to go back to what our purpose is. Our purpose is that there be confidence, public confidence, in the bodies of uh, – these school boards that make decisions for children and for the district. Uh, the, there is no limitation as to, to whom it applies, except those people in our, in our statute. And uh, in, you know, everyone's entitled to their opinion and may think it has gone that too far, but we think it went appropriately as far as it needed to go. Yeah, and Guys. the definition of relative is pretty broad. Um, it is. I think, I, you know, in response to the caller, um, I feel more strongly uh, about our decision now than I ever have. Uh, public confidence is public confidence. And perception is a very important part of what we do. If a board member has a child who works in the district, whether that child resides with the board member or not. The perception is that it is the child of a board member, and as a result, I feel very strongly that that board member should recuse him or herself from the process. Let's take a look from another end. Um, if that person is, is a good person and um, uh, that board member recuses themselves, that person uh, is... is Hired, not hired on the merit of the person and not on the connection. So it actually insulates the board member from uh, from being accused of uh, favoritism. That's a very good point. Okay, yep. yeah. And I, I think the other thing that you tried to, I think, indicate earlier, and I remember when it, maybe it wasn't as clear, is 
if someone's employed in district or employed in the district, it doesn't matter whether they're a teacher, a janitor, uh, a principal, there used to be – or a direct report. It's They work in the district and so that there's the conflict. So it's, uh, I guess, more cut and, more cut and dry. Is that – yeah, I, I think so. And, and you know, Ray, one of the things here, uh, you know, we, we've heard a lot of conflicts between board members and, and, and you know, uh, through the years. But the bottom line is the whole existence of what we're about is for the kids, the education of children. It has nothing to do with hiring of this person or that person or this power, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm with this power group, and I'm with that power group, or I'm with this uh, affiliated with this party, or not. The bottom line of everything that happens is what is best for kids, and a lot of times we don't hear that. So I, mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that uh, we should in, uh, stress to those listening to this program today is that it, 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 that's what it, it's about. And one of the uh, most difficult jobs is to be a board member, having to, the charge of making some very important decisions, and in some cases always getting the ire of other people because mm-hmm. someone's not hired, this one here, they don't like what's going on. Uh, a public servant uh, who is uh, on a board of education, it's a very thankless job. And, and uh, I, I believe that uh, you know, again, they are should be commended, and the people that we've seen before this commission, I can tell you overwhelmingly, it's in the best interest of kids. But once in a while, you run into people. It's all about power, and that's not what this is all about. That's Which gets me to a question from uh, our chat. Well, that was sent in. There's two questions actually, uh, and I could probably answer one of them, but I'll let you guys uh, and. Uh, and you too, Joanne. Uh, I shouldn't have said guys. Um, a board member, uh, they said, got elected in November who wants to, uh, as a candidate, wanted to have a priority of people being hired who live in this community. Um, and the question is, is there anything an administrator can do to prevent this? Uh, I, Well, Mark, you're a super uh, an administrator. You can probably answer that. It's really not an ethics commission issue. Yeah, so I don't think so. The local decision, uh, local policy issue. It's not an ethics commission issue. The ethics commission, but it's a very good question. Uh, but time and again, uh, Joanne receives inquiries from districts um, that have to be returned because they don't fall under the aegis right. of the school ethics legislation. Yeah, and that's a perfect uh, example of one, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and I would also example. comment to the the person who asked it is that uh, a board member can only act on a recommendation of this. Of the administrator, it's not the reverse. That is uh, correct. So mm-hmm. um, uh, the administrator makes the recommendation. Uh, exactly. But, well, you can call your field service rep on that one. Yeah. Hey, Ray, and, and another thing too is that uh, you know we do get inquiries regarding the Open Public uh, Meetings Act, and that certainly is not within our jurisdiction either. Right. So uh, our charge basically is the School Ethics, uh, you know, Act. And uh, it limits uh, our responsibility. So that's, you know, that's just something. But we do get a lot of lot of questions with uh, with uh, the Open Public Meetings Act and uh, and records. Uh, right. And that really is not the jurisdiction of this commission. Right. Yeah. Um, one of the other, but uh, I would assume on, in this code of ethics, uh, board members are supposed to support board decisions, and sometimes. Uh, 
uh, in a heated discussion, uh, uh, and there's a dispute as to a policy. Uh, some board members uh, uh, may not see that uh, they don't understand the, the supporting of a decision because they feel they still have a freedom of speech. Where does the, the and I know it's a tough line sometimes. Where does it come where you support a board decision and uh, but don't undermine board activities? Uh, sometimes it's in the nature of the criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're if you're expressing your your position as a as an individual, then then you have more leeway. But if you're going to now, as a board member, uh, or even as an individual, it's just not appropriate. But to to mock the, the school the members of the board. To mock an individual, to uh, to call them names. We've seen a whole bunch of that going on. Uh, there's a, there's that's not appropriate. Not appropriate things to do. And yeah, you have free speech, and that needs to be protected. But uh, do what's reasonable. Do what do what's appropriate. And uh, and conduct like that is really not appropriate. We've seen this over the years, Ray. And and the worst offenders are those board members who not only go public in opposition to the majority's opinion, mm-hmm. but, give the, but give the impression that they're representing the board in doing so. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the problem. They shouldn't be identifying, identifying themselves in any manner other than I'm speaking as an individual at this point. And so that's where when you see letters to the editor or someone posting Correct. on uh, – a web well now we have you know people have their own web website and Facebook and all that that they have to declare uh, that they were speaking for themselves as an individual board Correct. member and not on behalf yeah. of this, the board of ed. Correct. Yeah. yeah. It's very misleading when they don't do so. And so if they and it, it's a, it's misleading if they just put their comment up there as a board member and they don't say Correct. that clarification. That is Correct. exactly that's a that's very that's very important key point. Absolutely. Yep. Because then it gives the impression that uh, they're speaking for other members of the Board of Education or as the board stance. Right. Yes. Um, that's the fine line that Joanne was referring to earlier. Okay. I had one other question from uh, our chat room, and it's I, I here again. I'm not really sure it would fit into your. I, I kind of know the answer myself. Uh, can a local board create a bylaw limiting the number of conflicted board members so that the doctrine of necessity is unnecessary tool for the board? Uh, I don't think that's a, your question, because uh, the law doesn't say that. No. Nope. No, it, you can't. Can't do it, but it's not an issue for the School Ethics Commission. Right. Um, Going back, I mean, to, think about think, think about what what type of chaos that would create. There wouldn't there wouldn't be enough time in our agendas to deal with potential conflicts if a local board could cavalierly change uh, what constitutes a majority for themselves. I mean, you right. could theoretically have a bylaw change uh, and have less than a majority of board members who are now the ruling group. To decide on personnel decisions, that's I antithetical think, to what the yeah, school think, ethics represents. Right. Yeah, I think right. probably with that, and I don't know uh, what they're probably also trying to get at is maybe someone shouldn't be, we shouldn't have people running for the board who have a lot of conflicts because it makes it difficult for the board to 
to do their work. You know, that's a very, very interesting question. We we were talking in preparation for today uh, about disclosure forms, financial and personal, and there's no requirement at the present time for people who are running for the school board to have to disclose that type of information. In answer to the caller's question, maybe that type of disclosure should be discussed as amended legislation for future candidates. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because uh, I think there was an incident where someone uh, was elected, but they realized there was a conflict and they could not serve. That's true, right? Yep. And, right. and I'm sure that that's happened more than once. Uh, I, I think I think as a school board member, I would think that you would want to have uh, full privileges and being able to make uh, decisions on behalf of the public because you represent the public uh, in those matters. And uh, where you have less conflicts, uh, I think that's certainly in the best interest of the uh, district and the community. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, I'll play devil's advocate here for. A, a, and this was years ago. A board member came up to me when I was discussing uh, conflicts of interest, and his wife was a lunch worked almost as a volunteer, but she did get a stipend for working in the lunchroom. And he said, "Well, that doesn't affect my opinion. Uh, I'm not going to change my opinion over her." Seven dollar an hour position. She's doing it really just so she can see her our kids during the day. Uh, so I think well, that's, that's definitely. Right. Yeah, well, she's right. getting salary though, isn't she? That's correct. Right. Yeah. Well, see, that's that's where we look. It's not like well, she's not making much. It's that she's making something. Right, and that goes back to the point that I was clarifying it. And I, I'll, I'll let you know. I was telling them how I was interpreting your rulings, and um, that's how that went. Right. Hey, Ray? Yes. Can, can I bring up another issue that I think we sure. all would agree is, is an important one, and that is um, the board-superintendent relations? Yes, that was my next going there anyway. Yeah, I'm so glad because, you know, the, the, the world of education has changed so dramatically since the school ethics legislation first went into effect. Um, Back in 91, uh, tenure was removed for school superintendents. So we started to see uh, some turnover. Uh, but as the years have gone by with that legislation, with the accountability regulations, with the salary caps, there's never been such a large turnover as there is now, as you know, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of superintendents. That has had a dramatic impact upon board superintendent relations. Uh, the days of longevity of one person as superintendent staying in a district and establishing a long-term relationship you know, with his or her board, they're coming to an end. So I'm so glad that you in particular um, are placing greater emphasis upon the board member training in the future. I know you had shared that with us. Right. And that, and that I, I know that part of that increased training is going to address that board superintendent relationship because with the constant turnover and reestablishment of roles, uh, board members need to understand what their roles are, what the superintendent's roles are, and we see so often how board members overstep their boundaries in terms of what's administrative versus policy. So I, ho I think you're on going in the right direction in that regard. Yeah. And, Ray, I must say, too, is that uh, using the old football term as we're uh, approaching Super Bowl, is that those districts that 
function well. They function well together as a team, mm -hmm. a team of uh, uh, relationship between the superintendent, the board of education, and that that type of thing transmits also into good public relations for the community. Uh, when there is constant uh, turmoil, then the focus again of that district is on that turmoil and not on the kids. Mm -hmm. So I. I think all those type of things kind of work hand in hand. And and I think, again, part of that is that uh, overwhelmingly it's because they are not clear on the roles. But I, I, I think that uh, more delineation as to what the role will help future conflicts and, again, trying to build teamwork. Okay. Uh, we're running out of time here. I, I'd like to thank the three of you. Uh, and uh, I will invite you yeah. back again because we could have got back on some other issues. Um, Mark uh, Finkelstein, well, thank you. Bob Bender, thank you. Joanne uh, Restivo, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. This was great, right? This okay. Was great. Thank uh, you. Uh, I, well, I hope the members who listen have a clear idea where the conflicts of interest are. Uh, but if if you're a new board member, we have a, you can look for those. Um, advisory opinions. Uh, just to let you know, our next show will be next uh, February 8th and February 15th, and we'll be talking school security with uh, various officials. Uh, so thank you for uh, joining us, and I look forward to you tuning in for our next show. And thank you uh, once again to my guests. Thank you, Ray. Thanks, Ray. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.